We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. For the lead. Butker up. Got it. All right. It's Monday following Super Bowl 57. Tommy is with me today. He accommodated my request to have him on the show today because uh, Cooley's been out of the country and he needed to start much later. We wanted to get the show out earlier today. So hopefully Cooley will be able to join me. Um, tomorrow or Wednesday on the show to talk about Super Bowl 57. But that was the game winner from Harrison Butker, 27 yards out uh, for a 38-35 to Kansas City lead um, with eight seconds to go. And it followed a couple of plays earlier, a very controversial call, third and eight holding on James Bradbury against Juju Smith-Schuster, um, on an incomplete pass, clock would have stopped with about a minute 48 left. They would have kicked a field goal. Jalen Hurts would have had a lot of time to go down and tie, if not win the game. I'll ask you first, did you like the call or not? I did not get worked up about the call uh, like uh, so many people did uh, after the game. You know, it's funny. I get worked up about calls that are missed. I don't get worked up about calls that were right but shouldn't have been called. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, and that's what well, that was. Yeah. We're worked up about a call that was that the the guy who made, who made, committed the foul admitted he did, but we thought he they shouldn't have called it. That's a totally different argument than missing a call. That would get me worked up this uh again and it's always in the big scheme of things uh there's so much more uh to fault in the game that are that's right at the eagles uh doorstep uh so i had no problem with the call would i'd rather they just let them play in a game like that yeah did i think it was as egregious as the rest of the world thinks absolutely not you know i mean you know this whole argument of uh well, they didn't. They didn't call it throughout the game, you know. Or and I know you're a big fan on consistency, and I understand that, and uh, I, I I get I get that. But it's not a legitimate argument to me to say, 
well, you didn't catch it every other time, so how could you catch it now? You know, that's not a fair defense to me. I don't know. So I had no problem with it. I don't understand why you get worked up more by the calls that are aren't made versus the calls that are made if both of them are wrong. But this wasn't wrong. I, I understand that, but you said going in, take this play out of the the this, the discussion. You said the plays that you typically get worked up over more are the missed calls okay. rather than the wrong calls. Okay. Okay, but 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 this was not a wrong call. You see, I, I, what I meant to say okay, is sorry. calls that were made that that we felt should have been overlooked. Okay, my okay. that that's to, yeah. So that that's to me. Uh, but you know, generally, I don't have this newly acquired. You know, everyone's out to fuck us about everything, Gene. <laughs> that the rest of the world seems to have. You know, I just don't have that in me. I don't think that that is a new thing. I just think it's a thing that's amplified because of social media. I it mean, probably is. You're probably right. Because I can remember as a small young boy being just completely outraged by the Mel Gray catch <laughs> that wasn't. Um, and and this city literally went nuts over. By the way, I, I know I've said this before, but just Google the Mel Gray catch for those of you that have never seen it before. It's a 1975 game between Washington and the Cardinals. It was a very significant late season game. It was the game that cost Washington a playoff berth ultimately. Washington's up 17 to 10. It's fourth down for the Cardinals at the end of the game. And Jim Hart, longtime uh, Cardinals quarterback, who by the way became a backup quarterback in Washington for Joe Theismann in the uh, in the er- in the eighties, he throws a ball over the middle that Pat Fisher knocks out of the hands of Mel Gray, and they called it a catch. It's actually a lot of go look at the Butch Johnson touchdown catch against the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl. That would have been Super Bowl eleven. I mean, he never even comes close to catching it. So many of replay would have changed a lot of history, Tommy, in a lot of oh, sports. Yeah. You yes, know, it would have. Um, Absolutely. My position on that play was well, you kind of alluded to it. First of all, I do think that we see that called a lot. I mean, I think the first contact is the actual kind of brief hook and hold, and the second one they could have let slide. Um, but I think the, the the first of all, I was excited that they called it. I, I full transparency. I bet the Chiefs plus one and a half, and I knew once that <laughs> happened, it was game over that they were going to have a walk off field goal. I'm yeah. able to do the clock and the timeout situation pretty quickly in my head, and so I knew it was over um, and that I was going to win the wager unless Butker missed the kick, um, which he had missed a short one earlier in the game. But um, my biggest problem with that is I had, I had made a note during the course of the game. They're really letting them play today, which I like. You know, Bradbury had a brutal hold on Juju Smith-Schuster on a third and eight in the first half where Kansas City ended up punting on one of their few drives in the first half. Huge play because it was 14-7 Eagles at the time, and they had to punt the ball back, and they let it go. So they had let Bradbury – they had given Bradbury and every other DB the idea that they were going to let this ticky-tack stuff go. They weren't going to call it. And so any coach, any player, 
What they want more than anything, you'll always hear this from coaches in particular, is just be consistent. Just, you know, when you when you call a game, we will we'll adapt to the way it's called, but don't change like at the end of the game. You know, be consistent. And that's the one thing I would suggest is that was that call was not consistent with the with the way the game had been called. And yeah, it also as a football fan, if Jalen Hurts had gotten that ball back, there's no doubt in my mind that they would have either go, gone down and won the game 42-38 to 38, or we would have been in overtime at 38-38 because I had three major takeaways from this game, Tommy, um, before we get to kind of our, our recap of it, the things we liked, didn't like, and some other observations. Number one, the field was an absolute disgrace. I don't know oh. how <laughs> you have seven weeks – since the Cardinals' last home game to get ready to host a Super Bowl. And you've got a field where teams are changing cleats in the first quarter. Guys are slipping throughout. That is an abomination. How do they allow that to happen? You know what was funny was before the game was played and the days before the game, we read stories about the great groundskeeper, George Toma, you know, the, the, the god of sod. Uh, and how he was helping to get the field in shape. That was the storyline before the Super Bowl, how great shape the field was in, which is, which is really an indictment on those stories. I, I, did, uh, I, didn't, read, I didn't read those stories, but yes, I, I'm reading yes, the headlines right now. There. All hail the god of sod, groundskeeper for all. Yes. all 50, George Toma, are you telling me he's been the groundskeeper for every Super Bowl? How old is he? He's like 94. He's like, he's like 94 or something like that. Oh, my God. You know? That name is like a name but, from uh, the 80s, Tommy. Yeah, that's the Kansas City guy. Oh, yeah. From, absolutely. From the 80s. So, you know, that, you know what? It's funny. And uh, I know I'm going to take uh, everyone down a path that they don't like to go down because everyone thinks the world began when they start, when they were born. But in 1945, <laughs> the Redskins were, were basically robbed of an NFL cha- of, a, of, a, of a thir- another NFL championship when the field in Cleveland against the Rams was so bad. The Redskins had brought special sneakers with them to use in case that happened. The Rams didn't have them. The coach for the Redskins, Doug DeGroote, made an agreement before the game with the Cleveland coach not to use the sneakers because Cleveland didn't have them. And they wound up losing the game 15 to 14. 14. And George Preston Marshall fired uh, Doug DeGroote at halftime for refusing to use the sneakers. What? Okay, yes. I, I don't. Uh, some of you are like, get back to the Super Bowl. I don't want to hear about know. you know the I end know. of World War II uh, NFL championship <laughs> game, in which probably a lot of players that would have played for the team were probably over you know in the Pacific somewhere at that point. Um, actually, at the it was at the nineteen was it December of nineteen forty five. Because if it was December, yes. not January, nineteen forty-five, the war was actually over at that point. Um, but yeah, but yeah. But anyway, this happened to the Redskins. One, Dudley DeGroote. Dudley DeGroote was the coach. I believe so. Yes. Was Sammy Ball the quarterback? Yes, he was. That would have been another NFL. They lost fifteen to fourteen because of a slick field and refusing to use the shoes that they brought with them 
for that. So, so you think uh, they were it robbed? Kind of reminded me of that last night. You you thought they were robbed in that 1945 game? Yeah, but they did. They they were the ones that held the gun to their own head. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, so if they had won that game and done the right thing and put on the right sneakers, then the Eagles story that you wrote the other day that people had a problem with wouldn't have really applied. It's, it actually no, doesn't it apply have. now because they didn't win yesterday. It you thought they were going to win. No, yeah. it was a, you assumed they were going to win. If. Yeah. It was no, a what I, if. I, I predicted they would win. It was a what if situation. <laughs> okay. You know, people write that. People, like, people wrote articles before the, the Super Bowl. Uh, no one wrote an article before the Super Bowl saying, what if the field isn't in good shape? Somebody should have. <laughs> so my three biggest takeaways from the game, the field, the call, which we've discussed, and then the quarterbacks, both of whom were exceptional. But for me, yes. Jalen Hurts was the best player on the field in Super Bowl 57 yesterday. And I really – you okay, trivia question. I know you know the answer to this. Only losing player to win the MVP in the Super Bowl was? Chuck Howley. Very good. Chuck Howley, Dallas Cowboys, and he's going into the Hall of Linebacker. Fame. He he's one of the he's he's, oh, yeah. he's going into the Hall of Fame uh, in August. Yeah, and in, in, in Super Bowl five, which the Colts won, sixteen to thirteen, uh, I think on fifteen to thirteen, maybe no, they won 16, on five 16, Brian 16, 13. It was okay, not five field goals. Yeah, it wasn't five field okay. goals. Um, okay, sixteen well, to thirteen. Uh, but yeah, Chuck Howley was named the MVP of that game. Um, he was. Jim O'Brien kicked the game winner from 32 yards out in Super Bowl V to win Super Bowl V. But I'm actually surprised that you said five field goals because I could be wrong about this. But didn't John Mackey, your all-time number one tight end? Yes, he did. Didn't he have a touchdown in this yes, game? you're right. Okay. Yes, he did. You're right. You're absolutely right. He did have a long touchdown. Okay. I think a 75-yarder. Uh, from Unitas in that game. Yeah, because uh, Earl Morrill was the starter uh, in Super Bowl three in the Namath Super Bowl. Okay, so Jalen Hurts was incredible yesterday. Jalen Hurts was banged up and, and at the end of the year, missed games, and I didn't think looked like Jalen Hurts in the two playoff games. Jalen Hurts yesterday, I mean, I thought throwing the football, he was just great throwing the football. He was so accurate. He was on time. He extended plays, made plays on the run. He actually had a couple of balls, too, dropped. I mean, the uh, Devontae Smith play was was called back. He had one to Quez Watkins that Watkins dropped. He was 27 of 38 for 304 yards and one touchdown and rushed 15 times for 70 yards, including down 35-27, running for a touchdown, and then running on that power sweep for the two-point conversion. I really thought when he tied that game up at 35, I think I tweeted out then or maybe earlier, I think Jalen Hurts has a chance to win this MVP, win or lose the game. Because I thought even after the fact, as good as as Mahomes was, and Mahomes was outstanding too, Jalen Hurts was clearly the best player on the field and I actually think deserved the MVP. I know they don't give it to a losing team player anymore, but uh, you know I thought about if the hold hadn't been called, if Philadelphia took over, went down, and let's say tied the game with more Hurts completions and plays, and it had gone to overtime and they had lost, you know, forty-four, forty-one in overtime. 
I think he would have won the MVP. Well, here's the problem, Kevin. They're not going to give it to a losing player when there is a winning player who's deserving of it as well. It's not like Patrick Mahomes isn't deserving of it. No, you're right, but he wasn't the better player in the game. But 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 there was still but still he 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 was and he was certainly an MVP candidate. He was not going to give it to a loser. Okay, in an obvious look, I agree with you. Look, Jalen Hurts was so good that Patrick Mahomes in his press conference went out of his way to say how good he was. Okay, so yeah, you're right about that. Um. No, but you're right, too, because in Super Bowl five, when Chuck Howley won, it was a walk-off field goal, so they, I think they had actually already voted him at the end of the game MVP before the walk-off field goal, so maybe they would have changed it had they not voted it before the end of the game, but there wasn't an obvious selection. It was a poorly played game, not a lot of great, not oh, a lot of a points. terrible game. Yeah, terrible yeah. game. And yeah. yesterday's game was spectacular. And Mahomes, even yeah. though you know he only threw for 182 yards, he threw three touchdown passes. By the way, two wide open receivers. I mean, the Sky oh. Moore and the Kadarius Tony touchdowns. See, I almost give like Andy Reid the MVP with the the way he schemes people open. I, I just, just still can't believe. Cooley said before the AFC Championship game, he said. I know this is going to happen, and still I'm baffled as to why it will happen. But he goes, Travis Kelsey is going to be wide open for like six catches, minimum. And sure enough, in the Super Bowl, two weeks to prepare. By the way, Vic Fangio, part of the preparer for Philadelphia. Did you see yeah. that story? Fangio yes, hired I did. He was hired as a two-week consultant. Look, Vic Fangio, I've been a big fan of for years. He is probably one of the top two or three respected defensive minds in the sport for the last 15 years. He's going to be Miami's defensive coordinator next year. He hasn't signed the deal, um, and he signed a two-week consulting gig to help Nick Sirianni and company prepare for the Chiefs. By the way, Denton pointed out to me on radio, um, a team that he didn't come close to beating when he was the head coach of the Broncos. It's like every game he got absolutely ambushed by Mahomes and company. And he, and they got ambushed again yesterday on very few plays. Um, but my God, Andy Reid schemes people open, doesn't he? And maybe Biennemi has yeah. a lot to do with it. Andy Reid gave Biennemi a lot of credit. Um, and that's going to be a storyline here in D.C. this week. Uh, Adam Schefter reporting that Washington and Biennemi, you know, Washington has number one target is Eric Bieniemy. We'll see what happens this week with that. But but no one but no one no one really buys that. No, it's Andy Reid. Right. Yeah. You're I mean, saying you're saying nobody that's buys. Why, Bien- that's why Eric yeah. Bieniemy needs to get out of there. He's got two Super Bowl rings with the Chiefs. He's done everything he can in in whatever his role is. He needs to get someplace where there's no doubt that he's the guy responsible for the offense on the field. Yeah, right? and if Andy Reid continues to coach, which we don't know if he will or won't, he did say he's coming back next year. So that he made that very clear at the end of the game. He's not retiring. But we don't know how many years he has. But like Matt Nagy came back, if Eric Bieniemy goes somewhere else and doesn't get the job done, Andy Reid will welcome Eric Bieniemy back. I mean, it's kind of one of those situations where Andy Reid wants him to get a new gig, will encourage him, they'll leave on great you know, standing and 
and footing. And if it doesn't work for Bienemy, he'll be back in Kansas City in three years. Something like that. If Andy Reid's there in three years. Anyway, um, right. the quarterbacks were great in this game. They really were great in this game. I just thought Jalen Hurts was better. And I'm looking right now because the QBR number's out. Um, Patrick Mahomes' QBR was 96.4. I mean, that is just ridiculous. It's got to be his highest QBR of the year. Um, it is. It's his highest QBR number of the year. His wow. passing, his passer rating number of 131.8 um, is the second highest of the year. Jalen Hurts' QBR in the game, the ESPN QBR, which is a more in, you know all-encompassing number, um, was uh, 79.7. He had um, one, two, three, four games this year where he had a higher QBR. I don't know. I thought he was willing them, especially when they were down 35-27 on that drive. I thought he was great. I thought he was great throwing the football, and I think he, there were a couple of other big plays he could have had. The fumble, obviously, was a bad play for him. That was that was his bad play. And I guess he could have led Devontae Smith on that final drive where they tied it a little bit more inbounds, so it would have been a touchdown. Um, and he threw one time into double – well, twice into double coverage with A.J. Brown. One of them a touchdown. One of them nearly got picked. I just thought he was great, though. Um, okay, let's get to the game take. Pay attention, here's Kevin's Game Take. All right, it's more than just Kevin's Game Take today. Kevin and Tommy doing it together. Um, The things we liked, the things we didn't like, um, and a few other observations. Um, I've already mentioned the number one thing that I loved from this game, which was the quarterback play. It was exceptional. Jalen Hurts. I've been a fan of Jalen Hurts. I really thought Philadelphia was going to be a good team this year. Patrick Mahomes, though, Tommy, the fastest ever to a lock Hall of Fame status. We've talked about this before. You didn't need to win it for me. Two Super Bowl MVPs. Now, two um, uh, two league MVPs. I saw a number um, this morning that in his first six years he in team sports, he's one of three players to win two league MVPs and at least two championships. The other two players were Tim Duncan and Bobby Orr in hockey. Um, So would Bobby Orr have won the MVP or would he have won the Defensive Player of the Year award? Whatever. Um, I saw that stat up there. A friend of mine texted me and said, you keep saying fastest ever to Hall of Fame, lock Hall of Fame status. I think he is, but my, my buddy pointed out don't you think we felt that way after six years of Lawrence Taylor? Five or six years of Lawrence Taylor? Yeah, I think we probably felt that way about Lawrence Taylor pretty Maybe. pretty Pro- quickly. Probably. Probably, but it's harder to quantify with a defensive player Fair than point. an offensive player. What was the number one thing you liked from the Super Bowl? Uh, the number one thing I liked was Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he. I thought when he... When he limped off the field, grimacing with that ankle, I thought, well, you know, Chad Henney, here we come. And whatever happened, whatever they did, whatever, you know, if they shot him up with something, if they didn't shoot him up with something, uh, I mean, he was, he was like El Cid out there, you know, (laughs) sticking him on the horse 
and, except he could ride. He wasn't dead like El Cid was. Uh, I mean, it was Mahomes. I mean, look, I, I mean, I, you know, I went out on, I didn't go out on a limb, but for me, unusual to, to throw these kind of accolades over an existing player when I said Mahomes is on my Mount Rushmore of all-time great quarterbacks. And I feel awfully good about that today uh, after what he did in, in that Super Bowl. Uh, him and Andy Reid, Andy Reid too. Like, like you said, I mean, like it was, it was like he was playing chess, and the Eagles were playing checkers out there. It's like the Eagles forgot how wide the field was. You know, they thought they were playing in between the hash marks, and the rest of the field didn't count uh, when those players would wind up catching those touchdown passes. Uh, so, I mean, the combination of Mahomes and Reid, I don't see Andy Reid going anywhere uh, until he has to. And why would you retire when you have this guy as your quarterback? I mean, he's not – look, he's not going to go spend any time with his family. His family's a train wreck. <laughs> so it's not like he's going to go home yeah. and spend time with his family. I don't think – as long as Andy Reid can coach, I think he's coaching Patrick Mahomes. And I think Patrick Mahomes loves that. You know, and I think the Chiefs love that. So uh, you know, I mean, they're, they are they are joined at the hip in some ways, but they also are so good. Their individual their their individual accomplishments don't get caught up in their marriage like they did with Brady and Belichick for years. You know, uh, I mean, Mahomes shows enough remarkable athletic skill to recognize his individual greatness without saying, well, if Andy Reid wasn't his coach, he wouldn't be great. Yeah, he's really got a ton of humility. It's always about Reid and Kelsey and all of the stars on the team. You know, I was thinking about Andy Reid as you were just um, mentioning that, and I pulled this up. When they lost with Alex Smith in 2017 in the wild card round of the Tennessee Titans at Arrowhead, um, with Mahomes on the team, uh, remember. Um, uh, yeah. Andy Reid's overall postseason record at that point was 11-13. and 13. And, by the way, they, you know, mangled clock management on the regular, always. He just really seemed to struggle with that portion of the game. I mean, it was kind of a running joke with Andy Reid. Um, you know, he had gotten to just the one Super Bowl in Philadelphia – he had a phenomenal regular season record, was in the playoffs with Philadelphia virtually every year, and when he got to Kansas City, he had already been to the postseason four times in five years, and the one year that, it, that they didn't go to the postseason, they finished 9-7. and seven. So, you know, there was no doubt that Andy Reid was a high-level coach, but, you know, he was falling into the Marty Schottenheimer category, you know, couldn't get it done in the postseason, the George Allen category to a certain degree. And then along came Patrick Mahomes. And now his overall postseason record is 22-16 and 16 with three Super Bowl trips, four Super Bowl trips, and two Super Bowl titles. Uh, that's what happens when you end up with, you know, a Mount Rushmore-esque quarterback. Um, amazing what they've done. And look, the Super Bowl lost to Tampa. They were injured in that Super Bowl. Tampa was awesome. They dominated the game. 
Um, but, you know, they would have been in the Super Bowl last year if they hadn't blown a 21-3 lead that they had over the uh, over the Bengals in the AFC title game. But I- interesting, right? I mean, his final year of starting Alex Smith, they lost a big lead to Derrick Henry and the Titans, and he had an 11-13 playoff record. And at that moment, Tommy, you know, he was not a Hall of Fame coach. Not if Marty Schottenheimer's not in the Hall of Fame. Not if Mike That's Shanahan's right. not Marty, in the Hall of Fame. He was Marty Schottenheimer at that point. A great coach who couldn't win the big one. Couldn't I mean, yeah, couldn't win the big one. And, um, I mean, and, and by the way, had a lot of people that would always say he's never uh, – this is true. People said he's never going to win the big one because he just always messes up, you know, in the fourth quarter of games. In close games. Um, He is now an absolute lock for the Hall of Fame. And by the way, there's more to come. I mean, they'll be the favorite next year. You know, they'll be they'll go in as the as the favorite to win it. They have apparently ten draft choices. They're in good cap position. Um, and they did it after, you know, let's face it, they did it after some people questioned losing Tariq Hill in particular. You know what what they were going to be like. Buffalo was the preseason favorite. Now I think Kansas City was the second favorite. And if you listen to Travis Kelsey after the game talk about you know put some respect on our name, none of you all oh, thought geez. we could do it. I'm I was sick like, of this guy. I was like, dude, you've been an underdog in like five total games in the last five years. Everybody yeah. thinks the Chiefs always have a chance to win it. But the truth is, yesterday, you know. Everybody was picking Philadelphia. I, somebody told me this, and I was not watching a lot of the pregame activity, but um, that everybody on Fox picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Um, I, by the way, smell yeah. test, lost my first half wager because I had the Chiefs plus a half on the first line, uh, first half line. That was a loser. But the overall pick, um, the Chiefs plus one and a half, um, was a winner. Uh, I also, by the way, personally had the Chiefs minus six and a half on the alternate line, um, plus two twelve. I also took them minus seven and a half at plus two seventy five before the game. I, I thought the Chiefs were going to win big. I was wrong about that. That was a great game and a game decided by three points appropriately. Um, but it would have been nice had McKinnon actually stumbled into the end zone as he was trying to kill the clock and give himself up there, and they had gone up 42-35. to 35. Um, I also had Pacheco two touchdowns or more at plus 800, and he was great in this game. Um, but in continuing on the list of things that we liked, Travis Kelsey is an amazing player, and by the way, he's a Hall of Famer now, Locke. I mean, he's got many years to play. He's a great tight end. I think he benefits certainly from the scheme and the ability to get him open as much as they do, but he is a phenomenal route runner. He's great after the catch. He's got some of the greatest hands ever. And yesterday, early, I was like, oh, my God, on the first drive, he's wide open for a big chunk play and then wide open on a great schemed-up play and route for a touchdown, ends up with six catches for 81 yards, um, which I'll mention here in a moment is really impressive when you considered uh, the disparity in play count and in time of possession. But Travis Kelsey was next on the list of things that I thought were really outstanding in the game. What do you got next? 
Well, I would switch. I, again, I, I, I named two. Andy Reid would be my second. Okay. Uh, you know, in terms of his, his play calling and, uh, you know, the, the, the clearly, uh, I mean, the, the offensive schemes that, that he ran with that. I mean, this, look, the Eagles should have won this game. Okay, I know we're not at that point yet, uh, but uh, he managed to coach uh, a team to victory that, by all rights, probably should have lost the game. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily feel like they should have lost the game, but I'll, I want to hear more on why you feel that way here um Shortly, here's the rest of my list on on the things that I liked. I thought the offensive line play both sides was outstanding. Outstanding. Mahomes wasn't sacked once in the game. Jalen Hurts took two official sacks, but one of them was on a read option keeper where he actually was stopped prior to getting back to the line of scrimmage or scramble, I forget. The offensive line was great. Both ways. Um, A.J. Brown, by the way, is such a good receiver. I know what we're going to do here in the offseason on a given day or seven. We're going to do the thing where we try to see where Terry McLaurin ranks. Terry McLaurin's a number one receiver in the NFL. A.J. Brown is better. I said that in the last offseason. I'll say it again this offseason. And there are probably ten guys, nine guys at least, that are better. Doesn't mean that I don't think Terry McLaurin's really good. They're just a lot of really good offensive receivers in the league. Both punt returners in this game were outstanding. Obviously, Kadarius Toney set the record for the longest punt return in NFL history with the 65-yarder that set up the touchdown that gave him the eight-point lead. But Britt Covey was great, too. He had a 27-yard punt return. Um, I thought even though Kansas City gave up 35 points and 412 total yards, 417 total yards, I actually thought the Chiefs had some good defensive performances. Nick Bolton had the one fumble return. He also had another one, which, by the way, I do not think was a fumble. I think that was an incomplete pass. Miles Sanders caught the ball, got both feet down, but did not make a football move with that third step. I thought Pereira explained it perfectly. That was correctly called as an incomplete pass. But I thought Bolton was all over the field. I thought Justin Reed was hitting. I thought the hitting in this game, for a game that produced so much offense, I thought the defenses were flying around and doing the best they could and hitting really hard. There was a hit on Pacheco but I, by, I think, Gardner Johnson that was just brutal. I thought um, Legereus Sneed back was so crucial for them. They really missed him down the stretch uh, in the Cincinnati game. I thought Justin Reed was great. I thought Thornhill was great. I thought there were some really good defensive performances um, in, in a game that produced, I mean, it's crazy to say, that produced 73 points. Also, the last thing on the list of things that I liked, Philadelphia's quarterback sneak play and formation with the strongest lower-bodied quarterback in the NFL. I mean, what he squats and what he leg presses, I guess, is like legendary at this point. Jalen Hurts we're talking about. Yes. When they line up in that formation that I think is a, a, a new, I don't think I saw that formation during the regular season. We've seen it since the beginning of the postseason. I could be wrong, and an Eagles fan would know more than I. Um, 
I think it's the best quarterback sneak um, formation and play in that I've ever seen. Like they they quarterback sneaked from the two for Jalen Hurts' touchdown at thirty five to twenty seven. That was a quarterback sneak from the two yard line. I mean, and then by the way, he had the two point conversion run. Anything a yard or less, I I can't imagine there's any chance that play could get stopped. They line two guys up in a scrum formation. They push him, and he's already got the strongest legs, and he's already a great runner in the NFL. I mean, I I don't. I, if I were Philadelphia, I would never run anything on third and one or fourth and one other than that. Other than that play, they don't have to. It's a like fourth and one from their own nine yard line should be a first down. Why punt it with that with that play? I just can't imagine that well, that play will ever get stopped. Well, here's the thing: there are people in the league that have been calling for what they call teammate assisted quarterback sneak, right? To be outlawed. Yes. I mean that's what it, that's what it is in part. In part, this that's is true. Be a point of controversy in, in the league: uh, what they call teammate assisted quarterback sneaks. Uh, uh, a linebacker for the uh, Patriots tweeted something about it during a game, and I read uh, stories about it, uh, a couple of stories about it before the game. The Athletic did one uh, in uh, January that said the Eagles ran more quarterback sneaks than any other NFL team since at least the year 2000 and gained a first down on 91% of them. When Hurt was doing the quarterback sneaking, it was like 93%. Yeah, but but uh, I'd love to know the yardage on that, and I'd love to know the formation because what I'm really specifically referring to is the the scrum formation that I don't think we've seen and that I don't think we saw until the giant playoff game. So that it would be three three games that they've run it. I could be wrong. By the way, they did emphasize the rule this year that you can't. And, you know, you can't assist a runner by grabbing him and lifting him off the ground. But they did not, they have not done anything about the push from behind. And I think you're right. They should probably do something about that. But well, I would. Gonna, I'm sure that, you know, it, when, when it becomes so apparent, it will probably come up before the rules committee, which consists of coaches, as you know, for the most part. Yeah. I understand it. Look, one of the things that you said about, uh, and you included that you included the offensive lines in your things you liked. Yeah, I was going to include that specifically. The Eagles' offensive line, uh, I mean the the uh, the Chiefs' offensive line, and, and things I like, but but more in the Eagles' pass rush and things I didn't like. Okay, okay. the Eagles lost this game in the trenches. I mean, I expected a much more dominant uh, uh, Eagles pass rush on Patrick McHolmes than they did. Look, the Eagles, the, the Chiefs knew uh, at the end of the game, Orlando Brown saying we should have T-shirts made, zero sacks, because that was, that, that was extremely telling. I mean, this was the best pass rush in the league. So good, they felt they didn't need to blitz because they had four pass rushers with over, you know, with over ten sacks per per game, uh, but uh, I was stunned that that they never adjusted 
There was only one guy that could beat them on the field, and they never adjusted to him. I mean, you know, when it was apparent that they needed to do something about Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I didn't expect the Chiefs' offensive line to perform that well. That said, on the other side of the ball, I, I thought the Eagles' offensive line should have performed. Um, I expected them to perform better. Uh, look, there were a couple of plays. There were a number of plays I thought in the second half where Jalen Hurts, as soon as he went around, to, as soon as he hiked, got the ball and tried to set up the pass, he was running for his life. Okay, there were a couple of plays where he had to throw the ball away, or he he was throw, he was throwing from an angle that he really couldn't make the throw because he was he was running from a the pass rush. I didn't expect to see that happen. So I thought the Eagles lost this game on both sides of the ball in the exact places where I thought they would win the game on both sides of the ball. So a few things in response to that. Number one is this. I thought, well, I, I, I think the Eagles' offensive line is phenomenal, and I think it'll go down as one of the great offensive lines of, of this era and of all time when all is said and done. But I said um, in my preview of the game that I didn't think that the difference in the trenches was what everybody was making it out to be. I really felt like Kansas City's offensive line was outstanding as well, and I really felt like um, Spagnolo would would scheme up some pressure, which he did against Burrow um, as well. Now, um, I actually, on the list of things that I didn't like, I mean, I'll start with a couple of things. K- Kansas City, well, let, let me finish off of what you said because I, I don't want to lose train of thought. Um I actually thought a couple of Philadelphia's pass rushers played well. I thought Josh Sweat looked like um, at times he was unblockable, and Mahomes did what Hurts did. You know, uh, when he was pressured, he was able to elude it and get the ball off, whether it was incomplete or or just a typical great Mahomes play, including a couple of runs. I actually thought Reddick got some pressure at times too. But I think ultimately the numbers with respect to the Eagles defensively um, – you know, Mahomes only had 27 dropbacks in the game. Now, they, he actually probably had more than that because some of the runs, a lot of the runs were scrambles. So there are more than that because uh, he ended up having six rushes for 44. But the Chiefs only had 53 offensive snaps in this game. I mean, they only had 20 in the first half. The time of possession in the first half was 21 minutes and 54 seconds to 8 minutes and 6 seconds. The the final numbers overall were basically 36-24. It was 35-47-24-13. So, you know, they had a 12-minute advantage. They ended up in the first half running 44 plays, the Eagles did, to 20 for Kansas City. For the game, it was 72-53. to So part of it was that the Eagles' defense just wasn't on the field that much, you know, in terms of why they didn't get some of the similar, some same results. They, they, the Eagles' best defense was their offense in this football game and controlling yes, um, the ball. Um, the other thing is Kansas City ran the football. They did not give up on the run at any point. Isaiah Pacheco should – I should have mentioned him because 
Um, 15 carries, 76 yards. I thought he was outstanding. Man, there are very few running backs in the league that run as hard as Pacheco does. McKinnon had four carries for 34 yards. He he averaged 8.5 yards per carry. Pacheco averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Philadelphia, and I mentioned this on Saturday or Friday, uh, one of those two shows, in my preview, that I really thought Kansas City should stick with the run and try to run the football because teams had run the football at times against Philadelphia. So I think some of what you're saying is, with respect to Philly's defense anyway, is that they just weren't on the field a lot. And Mahomes didn't drop back 45 times you know, in a game. You know, Philadelphia had the lead in a lot of games this year, turned teams one-dimensional and teed off. You know, like we saw in the San Francisco game um, there with no quarterback really in the game. Uh, And then they were, you know, then they were uh, obviously they just had to run the football. But I thought the Chiefs did a good job running the football with Pacheco. Look, that final drive was Pacheco running the ball and Mahomes running the ball. You know, Mahomes had that scramble. And I think Kansas City offensively is like. Philadelphia's defense was great all year. Their pass rush was great all year. But they hadn't played Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. We know the schedule the Eagles faced this year, you know, was not murderer's row when it came to offensive football teams. And by the way, some of those teams put up some big numbers against that defense, even when the defense had sacks. Um, But I thought one of the real amazing final results of this game is that the Chiefs had the ball so little yet scored 28 offensive points. And look, one of the reasons they didn't have the ball in the first half is because they scored a defensive touchdown. You know, And so the Eagles ended up with six drives and the Chiefs had four. But the Chiefs, for the game, had eight offensive drives. That was it. Eight. And Philadelphia, and by the way, in the second half, scored on all four. Scored on all four. Which is why, you know, I would ask you why you felt like... I don't think you said it this way. I'll say it this way. Why you felt that the team, the better team, lost the game? Well, because I thought the Eagles were the better team going into it. Oh, going into I thought, it. I thought that they. Okay. Yeah, going into it. I, I thought, thought you that, said during, that, as you were watching. And I thought I thought they were exactly better, in, on both sides of the ball, in the trenches, on the line, on the defensive side, and on the offensive side. You know, so uh, I, I was stunned. Uh, I wasn't stunned, but frustrated, I guess, at, at the lack of, of pressure they really put on Mahomes. When, again, he was the only reason you were going to lose. And I don't understand, and you know, look, there's a lot that we don't understand about coaching. I don't presume to know anything about coaching. But one of the things I don't understand is when it's clear in a game that the only reason you, you could, you're going to lose is because of that one guy. Why isn't your game plan then to go get that one guy? One guy on one leg, I might point out. Well, because I know he's hard to get. Yeah, because that still should be your goal at that point. I just think that that all the rest of it, all the rest of it, doesn't mean shit if you can't stop that guy. Yeah, but nobody can stop that guy. Um, nobody has stopped that guy, which is why he's already on your Mount Rushmore. But I think that that narrative about Philadelphia's 
by far and away the better team with one exception, Mahomes. I thought that was overdone. I thought Cle- I thought uh, Kansas City has a, a really good offensive line, and I thought Pacheco could be a factor in the game, and they've got Travis Kelsey as well. And look, they've got the better coaching staff. In my opinion, the Andy Reid-Spags combination was going to be prepared for Philadelphia, you know, whether Vic Fangio was consulting them or not. Look, the bottom line is, watching this game and thinking about it here this morning, is a great football game played by the two best teams in the NFL this year. Um, and it could have gone either way. At 24-14, did I think Philadelphia was going to win the game? I did because, because, because the quarterback, Mahomes, went in looking really hurt. And whatever they did at halftime, give them credit. And it's, you know, the 29-minute halftime, you know, probably helped. You know, there were – the Kansas City had like over an hour that elapsed between their last offensive play of the first half and their first offensive play of the second half. Um, But, you know, the bottom line is – and this gets to my list of things that I didn't like. um, From a Kansas City perspective, in the first half, you know – I think it was closer than the score indicated. They had a third and four offsides that extended a drive. They had a fourth and two neutral zone infraction um, that that extended a drive. Both of those drives ended in points for Philadelphia. They missed a field goal. Um, I, I those were things that I think you know l- contributed to Philadelphia being up twenty four fourteen. Now at the same time, the Jalen Hurts fumble and the fumble return for a touchdown made the score twenty four fourteen as well. It could have been worse, but Kansas City was off the field in the first. They scored a touchdown. They drove the field, kicked a field goal. Then Bradbury got away with a hold on Schuster on a third and eight. Um, and then Kansas City did punt. They had a penalty, ended up punting on their last drive of the first half. But I thought defensively, Phil, trust me, I, I thought Philadelphia was great. But Kansas City helped them out with some key penalties, you know, that extended drives where maybe they were off the field um, without it. Um, and uh, I just thought it was, you know, and then Kansas City comes out and they, you know, four drives. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. And then the last drive, if they needed a touchdown, would have been a touchdown, but they kicked the walk-off field goal. Um, Field goal. Philly, obviously, the mistakes were, you know, the the fumble by Hurts, couple of delay of games, one they took, and then one that cost them a second-half timeout that they really needed. Um, And then I thought their coverage defensively, especially on a short field, was really woeful, but I give again Reed a lot of credit. But those touchdown passes to Tony and Moore, I mean, please. Um, and then I'll just end with this, and then let you, you know, give me other things that you didn't like from the game. The hold on Bradbury, Mister X, who's you know a fan of the show and a friend of the show, um, sent me this long note, uh, and he said, you know, as analytically inclined and as smart as Philadelphia is supposed to be. Shouldn't the number one message before that third and eight have been whatever you do, you cannot hold, you cannot illegal contact, you cannot defensive pass interference on this play because if you do, the game is over. And, you know, in the other part of it was, and if they complete a pass beyond the first down marker, you have to let them score. Now, that's a lot there. 
on a third and eight in which the goal really is to get a stop, force a field goal, and give Jalen Hurts the ball back with a minute 45 to go down three. But you do have to message your defensive backs. Don't do anything. You can't do anything here. It's better if they score a touchdown here than you get called for a defensive flag. Because the game's over if you get called for a defensive flag. We have no chance. That's a good message. That, um, that's a good message. I mean, that, that's the easiest way to explain it. You know, uh, if your choice is, is committing a penalty or letting them score, let them score. And they tried to after the fact, but Kansas City at that point was, you know, already clued yeah. in and McKinnon slid down at the one. But it was on the third and eight that Mr. X was really – Telling, he's like, don't you think? And I said, yeah, I think that's true. But when you're going out there defensively for Philadelphia, you don't want to say, hey, no defensive penalties. You can say that. But, oh, by the way, if they catch a pass and it's near the first down marker, just let them go in and score. You know, you're thinking third and eight isn't a probable make. And they're going to miss it, and you're going to force a field goal, and you're going to give your ball, give the ball back to your quarterback, and tell them to go down and not just tie the game, but maybe win the game, forty-two to thirty-eight. Um, what else is on the list of things you didn't like from the game? Well, I mean, nothing else in particular. I didn't keep a list of things I, I like and don't like. I'm busy drinking during the game. I don't have. <laughs> what the, were you drinking the, yesterday? The same, you know, were you drinking Red Stripe? What am I? No, I wasn't drinking Red Stripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was drinking Stella. I was drinking uh, Stella uh, during the game. Good for you. Pounding them Good down. Beer. So, so I have different priorities during a game than you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I wasn't. I wasn't keeping a list. Okay. Um, stuff, but I want to go back to something yes. that you mentioned. Okay. You know, when you mentioned about AJ Brown and the Eagles receivers, they have two number one receivers. Yeah, they do. No doubt. I mean, Devonte Smith is a number one receiver. Yep. Yep, and he had that. He no, had the one. Hit, he had the one cu- uh, catch overturned. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, I just want to point. Do you think he's better than Terry McLaurin? <sighs> Boy, Devontae Smith is more like Jahan Dotson, um, yeah. because I think Jahan Dotson has a chance to be a true number one as well. I do. Um, that's fair. With the right quarterback, that's fair. Yeah. Um, Look, you know, it's almost unfair. You just brought up the point. It's almost unfair with Terry um, and uh, to really say anything about where he ranks. The the fact that he's been able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish with the quarterbacks that he's played with is pretty damn impressive. You know, yeah, you're right. Um, you're right there too. So I. I, I, you give him a quarterback, like a you know, just a, a a reasonable NFL caliber starting quarterback. You know, maybe Terry ends up with 105 catches and 15, 1600 yards, and you know, 14 touchdowns. You know, but he hasn't had that kind of Absolutely. a year. Um, but yeah. he's really uh, the thing I love about McLaurin is I just think he is incredible as a route runner. He obviously has the speed. The one thing that I think about Terry when I don't think he's as good as some of these guys after the catch, and I don't think he's has, he has the same hands that some of the best receivers in the game have. But he's up there. Devonte Smith and Terry. Devonte Smith is really good. Tommy. 
He's really good. Yeah. He's an exceptional route runner. And and by the way, Goddard's good too. I you know I think what's um, been a bit of a of a, a revelation. Not that Philadelphia fans don't know this, but they don't just have one back. I think Gainwell is really explosive. I think Boston Scott at times has been really explosive. Yes. Now they've got a lot of free he had a agents. Tremendous run. Boston Scott had a tremendous run. Yeah, One of those runs that he had. I mean, where he juked them out. Absolutely. Uh, they've got a bunch of free agents. They're going to have to sign Jalen Hurts. You know, the Philadelphia team is going to look a little bit different. I think in the next few years than what they, you know happened last night and what we saw last night. The Kansas City team, however, has like ten draft choices, and they've got. And Philadelphia, by the way, has uh, what the two first rounders, right? Um, yes. So uh, it is two first rounders, right? I mean, Philadelphia. That's that's the scary thing uh, if you're a Washington fan. No matter how optimistic you may be about a new day, uh, I mean, Philly is an organization. They're not just this team, you know, and that organization has shown the ability in a couple of years to basically retool itself and get back to the Super Bowl. So there's no reason to think that the Eagles – won't be in this conversation for the next few years to come. Oh, definitely. They'll they'll come back. I'm looking I'm trying to find odds actually for um okay, here's the early odds for next year. Kansas City's the favorite. Buffalo is the sec uh, San Francisco is the second favorite, then Buffalo, then Philly. Um, so KC plus 550, San Francisco plus 600, Bills plus 650, Eagles plus 800, Bengals plus 900, Cowboys plus 1600. Where's Washington? Uh, they're way down the list. 32, 31, 30, 29, 28, 27th pick, um, at plus 7,000 to win the Super Bowl next year. So there you go. Uh, those are the odds on that um yeah uh all right well a couple of other quick things from the game and then i want to get to a couple of washington related uh stories that i've talked about but i don't i don't have tommy's opinion yet on them first of all at the end of the first half um i actually thought for a team that's so aggressive in philadelphia they threw a pass to Gainwell. he got stopped with 11 seconds to go and they had one timeout. They could have called it right there and taken two shots at the end zone from the 15-yard line. And instead, they let the clock wind down um, and kicked a field goal <clears throat> with four seconds to go. I thought they could have been more aggressive um, there. Um, I thought, this, as I said, the Miles Saunders uh, incomplete, the fumble, which the second fumble returned by Bol- Bolton was the right call. I thought the Goddard substitution, the the Goddard challenge by Andy Reid. Andy Reid blew a timeout there. They had so much time to look at that because there was a substitution reset because the refs didn't let Kansas City substitute. He had all of that time and then challenged that Goddard catch when it was clear that he had regained possession with that that first foot still down, so got two feet in. Um, what else did I have on other kind of notes? Um, yeah, we've talked about the end of the game already. Uh, yeah, um, a couple people, uh, tweeted me about, uh, Philly not calling a timeout before the two minute warning at the end of the game. Yeah, you you didn't, there was only like 205 left after that play. I think they ran that play right before the two minute warning, um, with like 207 to go, um, 
They could have called uh, those plays earlier, uh, timeouts earlier, but right at the two-minute warning, you can't do that because then you give Kansas City free license to throw the football. Bottom line is it cost them a few seconds, but the bottom line is the penalty killed all hope for Philadelphia, the defensive penalty. Um, overall, though, like I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good game. Like this one's going to go down as one of the great five Super Bowls of all time. Thirty-eight, thirty-five, walk-off field goal for the most part. Um, it's just a shame that Jalen Hurts didn't get a last chance with the ball. Because we could have ended up with like an all-time overtime, 38-38. You know, somebody kicks a field goal, somebody comes down, scores a touchdown, 44-41. Or, you know, with the new overtime rules, you know, you could have had them going back and forth with touchdown after touchdown forever. Um, Really good game, though. Um, Well, you couldn't have gone touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. I watched it with a couple of people who – who don't like to watch football, and they thought it was a great game. They were really into it. They thought it was very compelling and exciting. So it, it, it really was a great game. Really good game. Um, all right. Uh, I've got some things. Uh, I want to play the Sean Payton sound again from Friday. I commented on it on Saturday uh, morning's podcast. By the way, I would remind anybody that didn't hear my interview with Josh Cosman from the New York Post on Friday to listen to that. Tim Legler was phenomenal on everything. Um, had him on, uh, actually had a long conversation, split it into two podcasts. He was great on his thoughts about the commander season. Um, he's totally with Tommy that Ron Rivera committed malpractice by starting Carson Wentz. Um, had a lot of thoughts about the offseason, and he was just great on the NBA, especially the whole Kyrie Irving Brooklyn Nets situation. Um, those were the two shows I did on Friday and then Saturday. Uh, but we got more to get to, which we will start to get to right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, the Super Bowl is over, but there's still plenty of sports ahead, including March Madness, and my bookie's going to have it all 
uh, if you use my promo code KevinDC. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. They still have that unique deposit amount bonus going on that lets you cash in and cash out quickly. All right, you wager your deposit one time. Most books don't offer this. You're eligible to cash out immediately. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, uh, I'm going to play again like I did on Saturday's show, the Sean Payton comments about prospective owners of the commanders reaching out to him about coaching the team and some of the nice things he said about his memories of Washington as a franchise. If you missed it, this was Sean Payton on Friday with Adam Shine from Mad Dog Radio on XM Sirius. Was there ever a thought about going back to New Orleans? That was out there. Yeah. Um, and, and, look, it, it's, a, it's, it's a trickier one because, it, look, it involves someone that, that I've hired, Dennis Allen, and, and we've worked together on two different stints. Um, but I think in the end, uh, for me, it was, looking, it was looking really closely at, at, at these teams. And then there was a, you know, there, everyone's waiting to see what happens in Washington. And there, there was some interest from some potential ownership groups that are going to be bidding on, that currently have bid on that team, that we're getting ahead of the game saying, wow. hey, you know, if we get awarded this team, would you? And, and so there were a lot of different things at play. That's interesting. Right? And, and that's a place that's had great tradition. Like when I came into the league, Adam, my first two years were Philly. Of course, yeah. My next four years were New York so Giants. So you know all about that. And then my next three were the Cowboys. That My whole entire NFL career prior to New Orleans was NFC, NFC East. And what happened to that program? Was that one that made you think a little bit? Listen, that place, my uncle loved the Washington franchise. Last year, we go there to play. And I'm pregame, I'm looking up in the crowd. A third of the fans are Saints fans. And I'm like, what happened to this place? Yeah, that was one of the six, that was one of the six pillars. They used to fight for tickets in divorces. I mean, for, there's a 50 year wait list yeah. to get tickets. It's that sad. Was, that was a special place. It was. So it'll come back. Tommy, what'd you think of Sean Payton uh, saying that uh, the prospective uh, bidders on the team that he had been, you know, reached out to? It, by the way, backs up a little bit of. Some of the reporting from that week um, heading into Championship Sunday, the Diana Rossini kind of cryptic tweet about, you know, uh, there's somebody lurking in the wings if they get their ducks in a row. Um, you know, everybody thought she was referring to Washington. Rex Ryan, remember, saying the possibility of Peyton and Tom Brady to Washington. So maybe there was um, some truth to that reporting, but what did you think? Well, I mean, I think it's something that I, I, I'm sure I brought up uh, earlier that if I was a a bidder, an interested bidder for the team, this is a phone call I would make. I would have my team in place ready to go and whatever Sean Payton. Look, you have to understand uh, what Ted Leonsis has refused to understand when he bought the Wizards. Not a similar thing, but there's some similarities. You have to make a, a move quickly to tell everybody that it's not going to be business as usual anymore, even if it's a costly move. You have to do it. If you're going to buy this team, you have to do something quickly to say there's a new sheriff in town, things have changed, it's not business as usual, and Sean Payton and the cost you know, that comes with the hiring of Sean Payton certainly would have fallen 
under that category. It would have been a, a signal to to any anybody who's interested in buying a ticket to go see this team in the future that things are going to be different. So I think we've kind of we discussed that uh, beforehand. So it, it makes sense. I think I read somewhere. I don't know if it's accurate that Sean Payton is interested in Rex Ryan yes. as a possible defensive coordinator. I saw that as well. Uh, in, in I think Jay Glazer so reported that. Yeah, so there's your there's your connection that gives Rex uh, Ryan's uh, speculation a little bit more validity right. to it. You know, uh, and if that's the case, would would Tom Brady have retired? I don't know if if that was going to happen because Tom Brady was part of the Rex Ryan prediction about coming to Washington. So that's real interesting, but. Uh, Rex I mean, Ryan, you know, they're, Sean they're, Payton, and Tom Brady—we we could have been on the verge of having them at the end of March. We could have been six weeks away from that. <laughs> that would have been good for us. Uh, That—that's wild. Uh, and if you're a Washington hopeful, Washington football fan looking for change, the speculation that people are talking about hiring coaches for this team who want to own this team would indicate that, you know, that there's real movement in the sale of this team. Yeah, I mean, my, my reaction was, number one, I thought Sean Payton was a little bit low rent, um, you know, mentioning that. He's the head coach in Denver. Ron Rivera is the head coach here in Washington. Basically what he was saying is, hey, Ron, you're lucky. You're lucky I took the Denver job. Um, but more importantly um, is that uh, – Ron Rivera, if he makes it to 2023, the opener, which, by the way, you now have to wonder about Eric Bieniemy and the OC search. Like, you know, is the if if new ownership takes over, let's just say at the end of March, and decides to clean house. I mean, what if Eric Bieniemy commits to being the offensive coordinator this week? It may be the shortest tenure of all time. So that's why maybe the Ravens and and other teams have a chance. Even though Schefter reported. You know, be enemy and didn't even mention the Ravens uh, in his tweet uh, yesterday. Um, but Ron Rivera, if he makes it to the 2023 opener, is the number one most likely coach, uh, you know, or the first coach to be fired in 2023. He's on the hottest of hot seats. And I also think what you just said is true, too, you know, but I. I say that, and you know, there's a lot of conflicting information on the sale. And yes, there is. I, in my follow-up interview, um, in follow-up to my interview with Josh Cosman, which is why I urge people to listen to it, I talked to several people who said he was spot on on a number of things, specifically the price, um, the price of the franchise. And I think I explained this a little bit on Saturday's podcast. But there are just so many moving pieces. Like when we think about this big picture, we think, all right, um, it's being reported that it's, you know, $7 billion Snyder wants and the bids were at $6.3 billion. Well, the Athletic reported that those bids are kind of non-binding, you know, expressions of interest. It's kind of like you go in with your, your realtor and you tell the owners, hey, I'm really interested in the owner's agent, you know, because it's an upper bracket home, says, well, we need some qualification. Are you qualified to buy this home? And they provide that. That's kind of what that was. And now the next step is, will they actually put the earnest money down? You know, where if you don't go through with the deal, you'll lose some money. You know, that's kind of where they are on the next step. But 
You know, one of the things that um, was pointed out to me in a couple of conversations I had, and I got a bunch of calls from various people after this interview with the guy from the New York Post, is that Josh Harris, number one, um, apparently is not liquid enough to buy the team right now at a $6 billion price tag, but he owns the 76ers, and he paid $280 million for the Sixers in 2011. And the Phoenix Suns were just sold for $4 billion. So if he really wants Washington, he has a, a, a 100% ability with that and other things he owns to, to get liquid enough to buy the Commanders. Number two, in terms of that mystery bidder, um, because the other four that initially expressed interest apparently have gone by this wayside. Tommy, they've essentially looked at the prospectus and said there's no way that this team is worth this much, and they bowed out. The mystery buyer, I would just point you in the direction of a sports owner. I think the league wants somebody who's already a sports owner if it's not Bezos, and so, and I would not think local. I would think um, rest of the league. Also, lots of moving pieces. Like, what's involved in the sale? Is Landover involved in the sale? A new a new owner, Tommy. Think about it. May not want Landover or the stadium. They may just ask to rent it for three or four years until the new stadium's built. So, if you cut that out and Snyder keeps that property, that lowers the price. Is Ashburn available? Ashburn should be available. Um, and then apparently Snyder really values the sports betting license that he just got and opened up that book at FedEx Field. Would that be uh, included? And then there's another part of this altogether, which I think is the most interesting part, and I'm pissed that I didn't think of it before. Denver sold for $4.65 billion. We keep assuming Washington's a much better situation than Denver. But the new owner has to build a new stadium, billions, okay, they didn't have to do that in Denver. Number two is, and this was something emphasized to me, in Washington, they have to resuscitate a fan base, something the Waltons didn't have to do in Denver. They've got to spend a lot of money on what they call customer acquisition, marketing, to get the fan base back. They're not buying the Redskins. They're buying an expansion team. They're buying an NFL market at this point. Now, you could make the case if you were Snyder, he would never make this case. Hey, once I'm gone, all everybody's coming back. You know, that kind of thing. But the point is, is that this market is problematic in trying to get to the numbers they're trying to get to to sell it. And a lot of people around the league... A lot of, of, the, of the prospective bidders look at it and say it's not that much different than Denver because of the incredible expense of a new stadium and then the expense of basically a startup business. They almost view it as like, okay, we're getting an NFL franchise in a really favorable demographic-wise market, but all of the brand and the customers that were there, it's gone. We have to start over. I think it's really interesting. You know, you're, you're right. You are right about that. Something I've thought about in terms of this. Uh, first of all, in terms of the stadium, people who operate under the assumption, you know, once Dan Snyder's out of the way, you know, the stadium will just be smooth sailing. No, 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 no. I mean, it, 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 Dan Snyder's absence 
turns the stadium from an impossibility to a possibility. But not a probability, okay. uh, right? But not a probability. Yeah. That look, forget Virginia. Please, everyone, just forget Virginia. They might as well be uh, drawing pictures with crayons over there. It's not going to go in Virginia. It's Maryland or the district, and most likely the district. But the path to a stadium, even if you have an owner who's beloved or whose people can't wait to do things for, the path to a stadium in a district is very complicated. And it's going to be difficult no matter who owns the team. Okay, What's interesting that, uh, that you brought up is something that I'm going to probably write about uh, in the next day or two is, uh, look, I know everyone thinks Jim Ursay is crazy, and he probably is. But he was crazy enough to wake everybody up to the fact that, yeah, this team really is going to be for sale uh, when he made his comments about uh, – you know, about Dan Snyder after that owner's meeting uh, a few months ago. He was actually, you know, not the canary in the coal mine, but a guy who was letting everybody know that, that it's not going to be business as usual, that Snyder is, is being pressured to sell the team, and in fact, is now the team is for sale. Jim Irsay said in September, uh, he talked about with Bloomberg the possible sale of the Seattle Seahawks. Yes. You know, Paul Allen, yeah. uh, the owner, had passed away, right. and now it's in a trust. Right. And he thinks that in the next year or two, the Seahawks are going to be for sale. That's a tremendously attractive franchise for anyone interested in buying into the NFL. Including you have Jeff a Bezos. unbelievably. Yes. You have this rabid fan base there. I mean, the, the fans, that, that's the 12th man in Seattle. You have a stadium that's not brand new, but it certainly seems to be, you know, I think it's like 15 years old and in, in much better condition than, than what you'd be inheriting if you wound up getting the stadium, you know, the, you know Ghost Town Field. So, I mean, and, and Bezos, you know, a team in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest, with, with all the granola crunchers out there, that may be attractive to him. So if the Seahawks wind up put up for sale, since they are in a trust, <laughs> and everyone believes that will wind up being likely in 2024 at the, at the, at the latest, well, you know, you, you, you've, got, you've got a franchise that you can buy, go sit in your owner's seat, and enjoy right away, as opposed to one you've got to buy and then start rolling up your sleeves and say, now how do I turn this into a real NFL franchise? That's a problem. You're right. Um, the other thing I didn't mention, too, is that, you know, and this goes hand-in-hand, hand too, with the whole brand change, which I, you know, you know I railed against all of these, you know, activists who said, oh, it'll be a boon for revenue um, once they change the name. The net profit on this franchise has dropped from $205 million five years ago to $150 million today. Another thing that was startling, I think, when some of these bidders looked at the books and said, yeah, this thing's going in the absolute wrong um, direction. Um, I would also point out that Cosman from, um, from the New York Post pointed out that 
the, the Bezos has made it very clear that there are two franchises he wants to buy, Seattle or Washington. Seattle, because obviously he lived there, he built Amazon there. Washington now, because he's got a big presence here, including a beautiful you know mansion um, in Upper Northwest D.C. in Calorama. Um, and so those are the two teams. Now, all of the you know hand-wringing over the valuation and what Snyder wants and what he thinks it's worth, it does concern me, there's no doubt. Because I think he's going to want to look good in the sale. And if he ends up selling it for something close to what Denver got, he may view that as, I'm going to look awful. I'm going to look like I totally messed up the sale of this team now, too. Um, But Bezos lurks. And Bezos, you know, can overpay a little bit if he wants this team. Um, and then, by the way, all of the jurisdiction financing, private, you know, financing or uh, public financing, um, all of that goes by the wayside because he can just buy the land and build the stadium on his own. Not that he'd want to, you know, he'd want, you know, D.C. to participate. But, you know, the best way, right, to get this thing back is to get rid of Snyder and build a downtown stadium and then start winning some games. Uh, and the branding uh, handling will be interesting as well. All right, I want to ask you about the commercials to finish up the show from the Super Bowl. We'll do that next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Actually, Jesse, it's just basic ingredients. No, we don't eat our own supply. Mr. White! Jesse, everyone's going to want to taste. And I know just the guy to talk to. What are these? We call them popcorners. Say their name. <laughs> popcorners! Time! 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 Yeah! How much of this stuff do you have? We've got six signature flavors, y'all. Seven! You make seven! Seven. Seven orcs. Yeah. Popcorners. Break into something good. That was the commercial that I liked, Tommy. The Breaking Bad commercial with not only Walter and Jesse, but Tuco as well was in that in, yes. in that commercial. What a nice touch. <laughs> That's a great touch. What a nice touch to have Tuco in there. The product is popcorners. You think that's a Doritos product? I didn't even I didn't look into this. I probably should have. Um, but that was my favorite, and that was your favorite too, right? Yeah, and absolutely. I might want to point out Tuco, which was a great character oh. in both 
Better Call Saul Great. and Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, he's not the original Tuco. The original Tuco was Eli Wallach in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. His name was Tuco. When I think of Tuco, I think of Eli Wallach in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. For those of you who have never watched that, give yourself a gift and watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But, yeah, that's the only commercial that stood out for me. There are so many great Tuco scenes in Breaking Bad, but I think my favorite Tuco scene is with Mike in Better Call Saul when Mike traps him into, you know, beating the yes. shit out of him um, with the cops on the way. That That is a great scene. So um, I'm, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the commercials. I, I, I will tell you that I thought that Bradley Cooper's commercial with his mom was kind of funny, but, my God, is she short. I can't believe how short she is. Um, and then, um, the, uh, hold on. There was one other one. There was, there was a commercial that made it appear as if the remote control had popped up the, you know, the, the, the guide to all of the other, you know, Hulu and Netflix and all of your other choices. And I walked, which fooled everybody in our room, including me. Because I came back in and I yelled at Corbin, my son. I'm like, will you turn it back? I think the game's back on. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what are you doing? Give me the remote back. He's like, I don't have the remote. And so I got completely duped by it. And then Corbin was like on, on social media. He's like, you wouldn't believe that everybody got completely fooled by this. And everybody apparently is saying that they yelled at their wife or their, or their kids to give them the remote back. Um, which was kind of funny. The dumbest dad was Binky Dad. That was the dumbest dad I've ever, ever seen. Totally stupid. And then Michael and Sons was a local ad that ran. You know, I think Michael and Son is a plumber. And Tommy, you weren't here for this because this was probably a local spot. Um, you know, if you can't, if you can't do it, we can, I I think is their slogan. And they had a big balloon that they popped as the ad, which was really, really well done. Meantime, what the hell are we shooting down all over the country? How many more things have we shot down today? What's going on? Um, uh, anyway, you got anything else? Did you like Rihanna? Uh, it was okay. I mean, it's not my not my music. I had no problem with it. I thought it was funny. All the guys dressed in hazmat suits who were <laughs> who were part of the show, you know. Uh, but I, I didn't have any problem with it. I'm impressed she did it while she was pregnant. Yeah, well, th- that was the surprise. I mean, my wife and I were sitting there. Well, clearly she's pregnant, right? Um, but uh, I, I, we didn't know if it had been reported or not. And it was reported afterwards. Um, that uh, indeed, uh, indeed, um, she was pregnant. She's I, I I I like Rihanna. It's been a while. She's thirty four years old now. It was fine. I, I saw some people saying it's the best ever. No, it isn't. That was not the best ever. You two was great. Yeah. Prince to me is the number one all time halftime show in the rain I, in Miami. I thought Bruno Mars. He was excellent. Was pretty good. He was excellent. Yes. 100%. He was great. And remember, you and I used to get the opportunity. Uh, we did a couple of these together. Maybe I did a couple of them without you. But when the halftime performer actually holds a press conference on Thursday of Super Bowl, Super Bowl week and then plays an acoustic set, and you and I remember, we went and saw Daltrey and Townsend. We saw The Who. 
that was that was pretty good. That or songs acoustically okay. they did on stage right in front of us. How good was that? They were so good. That was yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Uh, you got anything else? Uh. Well, there's news breaking. Uh. In the past seven minutes, the Washington Post is reporting that Ted Lerner. The, uh, the guy who brought the brought the Washington Nationals, the uh, real estate uh, magnet here in in Washington, has died at the age oh. of ninety seven. Yes, the cause of it was complications from pneumonia. A national spokeswoman said, uh, "So that that's that's a big deal. I mean, he was uh, a philanthropist, well known throughout the community." Uh, a, a uh, an important businessman uh, who actually tried to buy the the Redskins at one point and the Orioles and wound up buying the Nationals and uh, you know uh, managed to get them to a World Series championship. Uh, there's a lot of flaws in Ted Lerner's ownership, but you can't argue with the resume uh, that includes a World Series title. 97 years old. Ted Lerner, yeah, I'm seeing it right now, breaking news. Ted Lerner has passed away. Um, You know, we can spend the next time we're together, if you want, talking about Ted Lerner in more detail and his ownership. What I would ask you right now is, do you think anything changes with respect to the team being up for sale? I know that the more recent reporting was now that perhaps they're not going to sell the team, or if they do, they're just going to bring on a minority uh, share group um, to take you know a percentage of the business. But w- does anything change dramatically one way or the other with his passing? You know, I, I don't know. I can't really say. Uh, what I wrote earlier this last week I think still holds that uh, the complication of the sale is Masson, and Masson are the Orioles. So as long as Peter Angelos uh, is still uh, breathing and the Orioles are owned by the Angelos family, I don't, see, I don't think the Nationals are going to get sold. I think once Peter Angelos moves on uh, and, uh, and he's been inca- incapacitated for quite some time now, uh, it's in his will from very good sources that the team is going to be put up for sale. And Major League Baseball will dictate who buys that team and will have to include untangling the mass and mess. So I don't think the, the Nationals get sold until the Orioles get sold. I'm sticking by that. Um, man, he got to see he got to see the Nationals win the World Series. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah. Um, you know, this is a guy, correct me if I'm wrong, right? He is a, the learners are born and raised Washingtonians. I mean, they they are from here. They have lived here. They've done business here. This is, Ted Lerner grew up in D.C., right? Pretty sure he did. We should know that. Yeah, he, I think so. He was an usher at Griffith Stadium when the center right. used to play there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, and at 97, that means he was born in 26 um, or 25, which means, you know, he was a young boy when the when they were last in a World Series in 1933 before making it in 2019. 
So I don't know if he was a huge baseball fan as a kid. I imagine most kids were baseball fans in 1933 because it was the top sport, along with boxing and and uh, and uh, horse racing. Um, but uh, well, um, sympathies to the learners uh, and. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a life, uh, that's for sure. Um, 97 years old, amassed just an absolute fortune uh, via their real estate, you know, uh, holdings and empire. And, um, you know, brought, look, bottom line is we hadn't had baseball here in 34 years. And the learners helped to bring baseball back to D.C. They built a beautiful new stadium. Um, it's still not my favorite location for the stadium, but I think it's a, it's a good location and a really good stadium. And it's amazing. Now we've had baseball here. Okay. For eight, I think this will be season 18, something like that. So it's no longer like, Oh, you know, Washington now has a team. No, they've won a world series. They've been in a lot of playoff series. They have, you know, they got some history. Um, all right. Uh, I will talk to you later in the week. Thanks for doing this on short notice. I did. I, I had to scratch the, the plan that was in place, change that. And Tommy, as always was available for me. So I will uh, talk to you later in the week. Thanks. Okay, boss. All right. Back tomorrow, uh, perhaps with Cooley and his recap of the Super Bowl. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.